Here's the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. If this is your first time joining us, thank you so much for um, taking some time to check us out. This is Melissa. And this is Tabitha from Australia. Oh, I always forget to say I'm from America. So this is more <laughs> <know>. from America. <laughs> <laughs> and we have an amazing episode today. We are joined by uh, Brandon Doucette, who is from Canada. He is a dentist practicing in Newfoundland with interests in surgery and public health and is the founder of the Coalition for Dental Care, which is an organization that is advocating for a more humane dental system. I cannot wait to hear more about this and talk with you about this topic, Brandon. I'm excited as well. Thanks for having me. Thanks and for being first. here. So why don't you just give our listeners a little bit of a background, um, a little bit of your bio, how did you get into dentistry, and how did you um, get to this point where you f- you decided to find this organization and get this started? Yeah, so uh, my interest for dentistry came uh, when I was doing my undergraduate degree. I had a lot of interest in medicine and kind of working with your hands and exploring my the different options, dentistry really appealed to me because there's the various components of it. For one, the surgical component, but also uh, there's also creativity and kind of artistic components, which I found appealing as well. So uh, that kind of drew me to a career in dentistry. And I knew that dental care wasn't included in our universal health care system in Canada, but I grew up fairly well off. I didn't need a lot of dental work. So I never experienced firsthand the lack of access to dental care. But when I got into dental school and seeing people actually struggling to pay the fees for dental schools, which is actually like half of what private private dentists have, it was really an eye opener for me. And seeing some people come in very late stage and seeing people around my age needing full mouth clearances. So needing all of their teeth taken out at such a young age, it was really a jaw dropping experience for me. And I, I really got interested in why weren't these people seeking intervention sooner. And when I looked into that, the biggest component that I saw was that people couldn't afford dental care. And when I researched more and more into this, I realized that it wasn't just the odd person falling through the cracks, but rather it was a major structural problem in our dental care system that leaves large swaths of the population out. So if I'm going to use statistics from Canada, there's over one in three Canadians who lack any dental insurance and over one in five that avoid the dentist each year because of financial constraints. Those are huge segments of the population and it has massive effects. Uh, one other interesting fact is just those. both of those numbers are actually rising. 
the way the nature of kind of people access dental care through their work-related insurance and more workers are not getting those benefits because they work in the gig economy. So that's temporary work that's very precarious. And a lot of older people are retiring and losing those work-related benefits also for going through a financial crisis with the COVID-19 pandemic. People are really struggling financially and a lot of people lack access to dental care. And that made it so that, you know, there's an element of, I feel the need, like I want to advocate for these things, but I think for me it was more, I feel the moral responsibility to do so because I know my voice as a dentist carries a lot more weight than the average person. So it's unfortunate that that's the case, but I see it that, if I was somebody who lacked access to dental care, how would I want a dentist to act? And I would want them to be a very strong proponent for a much more equitable system. Yeah, it's um, unfortunately in Australia, we have the same issue. So we're very similar to Canada in Australia where we have medical provided for free, but dental has not been included in that. So if you had a heart attack or you need to have a baby or you broke your arm, the government would pay that bill but we don't get any dental. And it's interesting to see that why have they excluded this as part of the medical system? Why have they said, well, oral health is not part of this essential medical system when we know it's so essential? And I imagine that our numbers are similar in proportion to people seeking dental care and just not being able to afford it. And it's it's really sad to see people, for the psychological effects, I think, as well. Like, you know, it's not just about the overall health of, you know, the oral health, but also psychologically how's that affecting them to maybe be missing a tooth somewhere or feel like their teeth, they've got decay. I think that's a massive impact that we can't underestimate that that might stop someone applying for a job or smiling, which is just horrible, isn't it? The impact goes so much further than, you know, just having caries or an infection. And and I mean, it's a problem here in the U.S. as well. And, and there's been a lot of um, heart-wrenching stories about young people and children who have passed away as a result of a dental infection that could have been prevented. And it comes down to that population of patients that don't have insurance and don't have access to care for financial restraints. And It's been a battle for way too long. And it's funny to me because during the pandemic, dentistry is screaming how essential we are, but we're not in the places where we need to be providing care for all people that is so essential. So it it, it is a system that needs some repairing for sure. And it sounds like it's a global issue. It's not just a, a local issue. I always refer to dental, unfortunately, as we've become luxury health. Yes. It's a luxury um, to the most people to be able to actually access us and only people that can afford it get it. And it shouldn't be that way. Yes. Especially when the statistics are showing us how impactful health, oral health is on total body health. Yes, absolutely. There was actually a paper from the Canadian Association of Emergency Physician that showed kind of which general health conditions can be caused or worsened by poor oral health. And just to list some of them out, so cardiovascular disease, diabetes, having a low birth weight infant, aspiration, pneumonia, osteoporosis, metabolic syndrome, stroke, you know, the the list goes on and on. And as uh, Tabitha, you were already mentioning, uh, it goes beyond the health aspect. There's psychological and social aspects. So if you have missing front teeth or visible decay, 
it's you're going to be it's harder to find employment it's you're going to have lower self-esteem and for anyone who's actually had a toothache they know how miserable it is it's so difficult to sleep it's difficult to focus in school it's difficult to focus at work and all of these things kind of amalgamate together in a way that really trap people in the cycle of poverty and it makes it so hard for people to get out and what we want with the Coalition for Dental Care is to create a system where we can try to at least do our part to break that cycle and help people have a chance at living a dignified quality of life. I love that. So tell us a little bit about um, how you've built the framework for this organization and how it works. Yes. Yeah, so um, I got the idea a little over a year ago, and I went to the Canadian Dental Student Conference in Vancouver. This was before the pandemic. <laughs> Life was very different. And uh, I gave a presentation basically highlighting the need for a universal dental plan and how our existing system is um, inadequate. And I had interest from some students who attended the presentation, particularly some students at McGill University in Montreal, who were very interested in this. And they kind of, we, we started forming the group from there. And, uh, you know, it started off very slowly, kind of, you know, trying to build social media page, uh, website and just trying to use the people power that we had and the resources that we had, which was very little. But luckily, since then, we've been able to recruit more people from various different dental professions, whether that be from the dental hygiene profession, dental, there's a few dental therapists, there's also uh, a lot of researchers, whether that be in public health, we have a health economist, uh, physicians, there's an emergency physician who actually advocates uh, for more robust dental programs that's part of the group. And we've been really fortunate to get people from a, a varied, varied walks of life who have a lot of different experiences, which brings a lot of brings a lot of help to the group because we want people with different skills. So, you know, I can do certain things, but I might not be so good at others. So we've been able to try to do that and take on various projects, like holding various interviews, events, writing articles. Uh, we've written, we have a letter writing campaign to have petitions to try to petition local governments to act on this, as well as like, I'm working on a book right now talking about the history of dental care in Canada and kind of more long-term goals as we gain people who have the skills to do it. But we're hoping to make a documentary film at some point as well. Wow. That's awesome. amazing. <laughs> and what what is the vision of the coalition? Like, how do you see dental being provided? What's, what's the utopia for you? So what we see as the ideal for dental care in Canada and other countries as well is... In its simplest term, we want dental care to be provided based on need rather than ability to pay. So we want dental care to be included within our universal health care system. So that's a single payer universal health care system. So from birth to death, you have dental insurance guaranteed for procedures that we deem to be medically necessary. And that's going to be a conversation where we have to have where do we draw the line and how do we allocate resources. But, you know, I acknowledge that some areas of dentistry are cosmetic and luxury and that's not good. You know, we need to focus our resources to make sure 
everyone can get fillings and everyone can chew, everyone can get cleanings and all of these basic procedures. And we think ensuring everyone has dental insurance is step number one. Step number two is looking at our universal healthcare system and thinking, how can we improve on the structure that we have now? And the way that our universal healthcare system works in Canada is that it's public financing of private practices. So physicians can choose where they set up practice. And this results in it not being very well organized in some ways and say, you could have a hard time finding a family physician because a lot of them want to set up in a city, but not so much in say rural or low income, you know, there, there can be problems in that respect. So what we want to do is also include a robust publicly owned dental clinic sector to help treat the needs of populations that aren't currently met. So some people, they need that extra help to access dental care. So some examples is we want uh, dental clinics to be in schools, long-term care facilities, prisons, community health clinics, uh, indigenous health clinics as well. And, And what this public ownership allows is a more organized way of treating these communities and actually allocating those resources more efficiently. Another thing that that public ownership allows is for us to uh, pay providers on a salary rather than a fee-for-service basis. The fee-for-service basis provides, it, it incentivizes some things that we don't like when it comes to public health goals. So, you could imagine the amount of time and energy it takes in to do a filling on a say a typically developing child versus an autistic child. It's going to take more time and energy to treat the latter child there because they're more complex health needs and kind of behavioral management issues that can come along with that. And if you're paying people on a fee for service basis, the fact that it takes longer to treat some people than others, you're disincentivizing them from treating those populations. So we think that the public ownership can allow changing the model of dental care delivery. It can also help disincentivize things like overtreatment as well. So I'm sure both of you have always heard of uh, stories. I get it as well. People come in for a second opinion. I was told I needed 10 fillings done. And you're looking in there and you're scratching your head like... I don't see 10 cavities, What you know what I mean? What's going on? And there's very little oversight and having getting rid of that fee-for-service model, as well as having government oversight for where there is fee-for-service, will help negate that over-treatment and make it so that people look at dentists as healthcare providers rather than business people. So do dentists like you? Like you? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Do you have any dental I mean, friends? I think they, don't, they don't like you. <laughs> there's definitely people in the dental profession who are, are big proponents of what we're pushing for and feel like it's definitely needed. But I'm sure there's people who just look at their bottom line and say, you know, that's not in my financial interest. So, you know, I don't like that person, I'm sure. But another thing that I'm sure a lot of dentists won't like is the third point of our uh goal with what we call universal dental care. And that's kind of the amalgamation of three points. The first two I've talked about is the universal insurance, public ownership, 
But number three, and that's really important with the public ownership, is breaking dentist monopoly on care. So reintroducing in Canada what we know as dental therapists, which are mid-level dental providers that can do simple procedures like fillings, simple extractions, all at a fraction of the cost of a dentist. And when you look at delivering dental care to the population, the biggest cost is staffing. So if you can reduce the bulk of that routine work, the cost significantly, you're going to be able Every dollar you spend on that program can go much further and help people even more. So dental therapy was something that used to be, uh, there was a really good program in Canada in school, and it was a school-based plan in Saskatchewan in the 1970s and 80s, and it was wildly successful for two reasons. One, it helped, you know, the financial barriers were eliminated to dental care for kids. But also, a lot of rural communities didn't have dental providers. So setting them up in school clinics made things much more accessible. Parents didn't have to take time off of work as kids were just taken out of the classroom. And it was wildly successful. And over that time, the need for fillings and extractions in children were cut in half, because they were so much healthier. And it was something that dentists really didn't like this. There was a lot of uh, disinformation. There was a lot of, you know, they do bad work, even though all the evidence pointed in the other direction. And it's something that the program was later privatized so that the children's care is provided by dentists in private practice. But we want to bring back dental therapy, but a lot bigger than it was before. So national school-based programs, long-term care facilities, prisons, you know, community health center, all the places I've already spoke about. And also the dental therapy can take different forms. So one of them is for dental therapy to be a standalone program, but also it can be basically dental hygienists have the option of becoming duly trained dental hygienists, dental therapists, whether that be grouped in with their original program, maybe being a little bit longer, or if dental hygienists have the option of returning afterwards, basically like dentist specializing kind of, and they have the option to take on those added responsibilities if they like. You know, there's various different options. I think, I don't want to sit here and say one's better than the other. I think there needs to be a conversation with the different professions to figure out what the best path is moving forward. But I think, you know, breaking dentist monopoly on care is really, really important. Because if you're looking at providing a program to the entire population, Canada, 36 million people, and you're looking at, say, with dental therapists, a filling costing 80 bucks per filling versus dentists wanting $250, that, that's going to be a really big difference as far as the cost of the program and your ability to help the entire population. It also allows dentists to focus more on complex procedures like root canals and, you know, other things. In Australia, in Australia, we actually, um, dental therapy is becoming quite big. So now we don't, but we don't train dental therapists or dental hygienists anymore. We train what we call an oral health therapist. And it's that dual combination of hygiene and therapy together. So that's all our programs trained now is that OHT, as we call it. But our biggest problem is the monopoly of dentists not wanting that because they see it as competition and as coming in on their property, you know, like you're coming in in our turf, we don't want you in there. And I, I wonder in Australia, and if it's the same in Canada, 
you know, I think there's a certain portion of uh, dental people advocating for more um, universal care, but they're not the they're not the majority. And I actually think the majority are pushing against it and are wanting it not to come in because they're thinking about how that would affect them economically and, you know, and especially if they're on the the high end of earning, they really don't want to um, alter that at all. And do you think there's a lot of professionals in Canada who are kind of pushing the same? They don't want it because they're thinking personal economics? Absolutely. I Yeah, 100%. I'm sure there's a lot of people who want to maintain the status quo. And it's something that the way the organizations that represent dentistry function, they're very undemocratic. They're not accountable to the public and they represent dentist interests. So what we want to do with the Coalition for Dental Care is basically act as a counterweight to organized dentistry and basically try to hold their feet to the fire on things where they can get away when no one's paying attention with maintaining the status quo. But if we raise awareness for dental therapy and universal dental care and all of these things, all of a sudden, you know, eyes turn to them and they, they might say like, you know, they don't seem as legitimate of an institution if all of a sudden they're staying quiet when there's actually public demand for these things. So I, you know, there's definitely a lot of people who are going to push for their own financial interest, but I think it's, it's the responsibility of groups like the Coalition for Dental Care to really try to act as a counterweight and hold these groups accountable. And you know what? There's abundance. There are plenty of patients that can fit into every different category. You know, these doctors that that are maintaining the status quo that give the pushback on this, they're not treating the patient population who needs their help anyway. You know, because they're they're not really working with the underserved population. I know in the US, when you're in that when, when that's the population that you're treating, you're usually taking a lot of insurance reimbursement and it's very low level reimbursement. So it, the quality tends to drop because you just as the practitioner can't afford to keep the lights on and do high quality care and just take such low level payment and reimbursement for that care. So it's, it's very relative to that. But I think it's so essential when you have the um, public approach like you're describing where it kind of takes that piece out and it and it just helps provide the care that's so desperately needed to keep these people out of the hospitals, especially during a global pandemic, taking up hospital beds for a dental infection when they could now pick up something secondarily like COVID when they're there for that, because we also know that when we have a dental infection of some sort, our immune system's compromised. So it, it just, it, it's like a cascade effect of things that if we could just get this to be more of the status quo rather than what we have currently, we could be serving so many more people and helping save lives and save our, all of our governments so much money in medical expenses. Yes, uh, two points to add to what you were saying. For one, there's an interesting statistic from 2014 in Canada. Uh, in Ontario, which is the biggest province in Canada, there was a study that looked at people going to their physician for dental pain. And what this study showed is that doctor's offices were visited every three minutes and emergency departments every nine minutes by patients treating, seeking treatment for dental pain. Wow. And that's something that na nationwide, it's estimated to cost Canada about $150 million a year. And these people are basically left with an antibiotic and some sort of pain medication, which leaves them still needing to be treated by a dentist. 
Right. Because that's, that's what I find patients don't understand. You know, like you can, you have a problem, you go to your medical doctor, you get an antibiotic, the infection goes away, you return to health. I I find myself explaining over and over again to patients when we find dental abscesses or or teeth that are failing and and cannot be saved, or even a a failing implant that can't be saved. They don't have that same understanding. Like they're like, oh, well, just put me on an antibiotic. No, that's not going to fix this. <laughs> it's palliative. We need to do more. We need to actually take the tooth out, treat the infection. You know, it's like they just don't understand that dental infections are different from medical in- uh, infections. And it, it's just, it's a shame that we're clogging up the system because these patients aren't even in the ERs. They're not getting treated, as you said. They're getting palliative treatment. And then if they don't follow up, the problem will come back with a vengeance. So it's like, it's such a broken system. How do we fix this? It's crazy, but you're on the way you're doing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they should just be able to go see a dentist. A lot of the times people go to their doctors because they can't afford to go to the dentist or they live in a really rural area where there's no dentist. And it's something that there needs to be a big education campaign for things like this. Uh, But there also needs to be increased access through a universal dental plan. But the education, you know, we also have to take into account, there are other consequences to people going to their doctor for dental pain. Some of them you've already mentioned, but imagine people just being prescribed an antibiotic when reality, they need a root canal or, or an extraction that increases the likelihood of superbugs. So antibiotic resistant bacteria developing because we're over relying on antibiotics when we shouldn't. Also, if anyone's had a toothache, they know how bad it is. You can't control that with just over the counter Tylenol or Advil. You oftentimes need an opiate. So instead of people getting the treatment they need, they're receiving opiates to deal with the pain, which you know, there's an overdose crisis here in Canada, as there is in the US, and I'm sure in Australia as well, of people getting addicted to pain medications. And this is a vessel through which people can be exposed to these opiates when in reality, they need to see a dentist. Um, I've got a friend at the moment, she's working in a really remote area of Australia in an Indigenous um, community where they're trying to set up some dental. And some of the stories that she's told me as well is quite horrific where she's met multiple people that have tried to extract their own tooth. And that's just heartbreaking to hear because, one, they're obviously in a lot of pain to get to that point. But can you imagine trying to do that at home with no local anaesthetic? Like that is horrific. And the fact that we have that happening probably in every country across the globe, um, we need to make major changes because that we're neglecting people when they get to this level. And it, it's, it's quite horrific when you think about it. Yeah, I've seen that a lot of times. And it's something that's really sad. It's I have a particular interest in surgery kind of already, but the fact that I've have interest in public health as well, it's kind of made it so I gravitate towards seeing people who need, say, clearances, they need all their teeth taken out and stuff like that. And you hear stories from people and it's just, it's horrendous. Yeah. And And we're also, we are all coming from basically countries that are like some of the richest countries in the world as well. And we can't treat like the particularly as you mentioned the indigenous communities which we've done horrendous things to them throughout our history and now they're in a state where they've been in such poverty you know 
by and large in such poverty over so much time that they're still in these conditions. It's horrendous. And we need to start to correct some of these things and actually act in good faith. So even if that's a dentist saying, you know, maybe we shouldn't do things that are solely beneficial to my monopoly, maybe we should actually look at public health and fixing problems. A lot of dental problems people conceive as like, oh, well, people just they don't brush their teeth or they drink sugary drinks. Well, that's a component, but also those are things that are more associated with poverty as well. Why don't we solve poverty? Those are fixable problems. And we can also, as I mentioned with the Saskatchewan dental plan in the school-based programs, the need for fillings and extractions after 10 years of the program, children needed on average half as many fillings and extractions. That's fixing problems because they're actually fixable through organized intervention. Do you think this comes back to um, our original training a little bit, though, as well? So I'm currently studying my master's in public health, and I'm I'm really enjoying the upstream parts that we're learning and how we're changing. But we had a public health one, you know, one public health subject in my training, but it was quite small, and and it wasn't really that impactful in my overall education, to be honest. But maybe we need to be making sure that when we're originally training, we're really bringing in that public health understanding and more compassion into our training instead of it being biology and chemistry. All of those things have to happen. But I don't think we're giving everyone a good understanding of the poverty and how people get here and and having that compassion overall for the community in our, you know, foundation learning. I don't think that's there. Absolutely. I think there's definitely needs to be a bigger focus on education uh, of various levels. I didn't get that much exposure to dental public health stuff in school. A lot of it was on my own looking into these things. And it's something that like there, there needs to be education, but there also just needs, we need to break up the monopoly of dentists on dental care. Like the way a monopoly works is they're going to do everything possible to exclude anyone else from the picture. And like, it's just, it's how the machine functions. The machine functions to reproduce that monopoly and maintain the status quo. And without redistributing that power to say professions like dental hygiene, dental therapy, but also groups working on behalf of the public, the public interest as well. Like it's just, we need to redistribute power in ways that results in a, you know, a more balanced equilibrium. And that's been a a huge problem for us as a profession as dental hygienists in Australia. And I know in America as well is that we've had dentists fighting against our independence, fighting against us progressing as a profession because it interrupts their monopoly, not because they're thinking about access to health, because they're thinking about what happens if they own a business and they run it cheaper than us because they they don't they won't charge as much and they won't do this and they don't want us to compete with them is what it comes Absolutely. to. Absolutely. And that adds another very interesting lens to this of like dentists have a monopoly on care, but we also have to look at them as the bosses of the workplace by and large. Because your boss is trying to find ways to exploit you. So for every dollar you make, they're trying to figure out how to skim as much as possible off of the top of that to line their own pockets. So, you know, and this is something that we see with the rise of corporate dentistry as well. It's really that like that dynamic on steroids where they're trying to figure out how do we make the most money as possible? How do we turn this into a money making machine? And, you know, that's not how healthcare should be run. That doesn't result in good public health. That results in, you know, being good for the bottom line, but not for the average person. 
And we're seeing a rise in corporate dentistry in Australia as well now. And and I can't say many people are happy with the changes that they're seeing from it. And I think, yeah, it's becoming very money. I've accidentally ended up in a corporate dentistry site. The dentist sold our practice to a corporate. And um, I always say it was like I got trafficked, (laughs) legally trafficked into it. And I'm like, and it was an eye-opener. And I, I got out very quickly. I didn't like how it was, but unfortunately they're becoming a monopoly as well and over servicing is something that we're seeing majorly from the population of the population section of the population that can afford it they're being over serviced a lot of the time yes absolutely and it's something that understanding why corporate dentistry has taken a hold is really important as well because at least in Canada, and I think it's similar in US and Australia, what's happened is there's a lot of older dentists looking to retire. And a lot of younger dentists graduating with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And the thought of like, as a young adult, like, taking on more debt after graduation and buying these practices from these older people just seems like an insurmountable thing to do. Why would I take on another half a million dollars in debt when I'm already drowning in debt to begin with? So what they're looking for is an associate position where they have a steady stream of patients to treat them. So what happens is these corporate dental chains buy up these offices from these older dentists and hire these younger people to work in them. And it's something that This happens a lot of the time without public knowledge. What's happening in Canada, and I'm not 100% sure, I know some places in the US this isn't the case, some places it is, but uh, what happens is when they become these corporate-run dental offices, they don't take they don't change anything. Website doesn't change. There's no there's no knowledge from outside saying that there is a different owner of this and this is being run in a different way. It's just basically continues as business as normal. Even sometimes it's bought over and the same dentist still works there. It's just, you know, they're going to be phased out in a year or two or something. That's how it works in Australia as well. But the patients would never know what has happened. They'd slowly start to feel the changes, but it would never be officially um, acknowledged. So, but I really liked when going back to you were mentioning about it not being a fee for service and being a salary, because when we look at the NHS system in the UK, um, where they have technically free dental, but it's a very flawed system. And the dentists there are being paid first really low per service. So what they're doing is they're pumping them through and then no one's getting quality dentistry. You know, my friends that work in the UK, you know, said the system's just a mess really. And I think that's because they're doing that fee for pay and, and they're not having a salary and they can't, they don't have the luxury of, of treating people properly. They've just got to treat people fast. Yes. And there's also the element with the UK system where technically they have a universal program, but they have the two tiered system where you have the people who rely on the NHS services and the people who rely on the private plans. And what you see is that the private plans pay out larger fees than the public plan because the public plan is really just a thing of last resort for people who don't have a private plan, they can't afford the higher fees otherwise. And what you do when you have that is you have a fast lane for people on the private plans because they pay a higher fee. You could imagine if you're doing a filling and you're going to get paid $200 versus on another plan, you're going to get paid $100. You're going to see the people who are going to pay you $200 for that unit of time first. And the people who rely on the public program have a much harder time. So that's why we advocate not just for a dental plan for the uninsured, 
but an actual universal program like Canada's Medicare system, because everyone buys, everyone's kind of has to rely on that base level of care for simple things like fillings, extractions, root canals, all that basic care. If everyone buys into it, there's much more, it's much harder to under underfund that program because yeah. it's seen as an attack on the society as a whole because everyone relies on it. Whereas these targeted programs, particularly in Canada, Canada is really bad for funding public dental care of like only 5% of dental spending is public spending. This is like, we're, we do even worse than the, the US. We're second worst among developed countries. It's really bad. And what happens is when these programs are so underfunded, what happens is they pay out so low fees, they pay really low amounts. And the reality of what people actually receive, it's much less than what people often think. So people think, you know, people on social assistance get dental care. I know firsthand, a lot of dentists don't accept people on these plans, or they make them pay up front. And like, yeah, it's just very having everyone buy into the system is a much more efficient way to deliver care. Whereas when you help, when you're targeting to poor marginalized communities, they cut the, like governments can cut funding for these programs or de-index fees from inflation or all of these different tricks without anyone noticing, without there being a big uproar because they help poor marginalized groups. Whereas if you group everything in the same basket, it's much more robust politically and it's much harder to attack and undermine because everyone buys into it. So why do you think we never originally just got put with medical? Why do you think we've always stayed, stand? like, how did we start like this? I know why we stay like this, but how did we Like, did, did we dentistry like do this or did yeah. medicine do this? Well, yeah. With de- with dentistry, I'm going to talk specifically about the story in Canada. But in the 1960s, when we were leading up to the implementation of our universal health care system, it was very much the fight for physician services. And it was with the h- plan of later reintroducing things like coverage for prescription drugs and dental care and eyeglasses and stuff like that. And the reason for this was because Doctors were so, so strongly against this. Again, Saskatchewan was the leader for this. And uh, it was under the, the Tommy Douglas, who's known as the father of Medicare, was trying to implement uh, the universal dental plan in Saskatchewan, which is one of the provinces in the prairies. And doctors went on strike. They said, we're done. We're out. And they went on strike for 23 days. It was a big deal. And it was something that, the fight for Medicare, they call it a fight for a reason. It was intense. It was a really big, like it was a really, it tore, it really tore the province apart. And after that 23 day strike, they ended up still going through with it because there was very strong support from the population. And also there was a few people, few doctors who were speaking out against the, uh, against the other doctors who went on strike, which is kind of what I think is important with our group dentists speaking on behalf of dental care. But seeing that fight and how hard it was, it was, okay, we're going to pick, we're going to fight this battle now. And then afterwards, we're going to come back for these other things. And we just, we never did for various reasons. For one, at that point in time, it was really when the idea of work-related insurance and unions bargaining for those benefits became 
something that was a little more mainstream. There's still large segments of the population who lacked these services, and a lot of them were inadequate. But people were starting to gain access to dental care when they weren't before. And also, it was at a time when they were implementing community water fluoridation. So this is a really good public health measure because for every you know, it, it greatly reduces cavities among the population. You know, even at low levels, it lowers cavities by 25, 30% in the population. So people were seeing large increases in their oral health because of this. And it was just kind of like, oh, I guess we don't really need it now. When in reality, that was always kind of a, a false a false dichotomy promoted by dentists who said, now that we have these little things, now we don't need it. No, we still do because people are still going to have these oral health needs. It's just now there's fewer cavities to treat in the public, which is great. And we should still allocate the re- the cavities that still do need to be treated should be treated based on need, not ability to pay. A hundred percent. And I also think this is something Melissa and I have talked about in another podcast as well, is that because we don't provide it as an essential service, you know, as as overall, then our patients don't always see it, even the ones that can afford, as something that's essential. They look at it as luxury as well or not needed. And we'll never really get that understanding of us as part of the medical team when we are standing off on the side by ourselves. And so the way we're perceived by our patients as well is quite different because of the model of care and the way we're providing it. And I think that once we become part of that system of universal health with it, then we're going to be thought of on a different level by our patients and they're going to think of it as essential health and, and something that not just luxury and and they're not thinking of veneers and and orthodontics they're thinking of health and systemic health and 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 good oral health and you know because how many of our patients are walking around with periodontal disease and and don't know until it's too late because it's not painful and they're not getting those screenings and finding out about their cardiovascular risk and all of the other things so i think it helps us on so many levels to provide good dental care you know affordable or, or free to our patients Absolutely. And just to add something to what you were saying, there was actually a study done in Canada a few years ago that actually showed that people look at dentists more as business people than they do as doctors. And I think, say, the rise of corporate dentistry really harms that where you see people go into a dental office for a checkup and all of a sudden the dentist is like, well, you need veneers, you need whitening, all these things, and you need a bunch of it. It really hurts public trust in the profession. And what we're trying to do with the Coalition for Dental Care is really build that trust back with the population by really, you know, working on behalf of the public health and trying to actually fix some of these problems and reestablish that social contract. I couldn't agree more. And and just to add to from what Tabitha was just saying, I just had an experience a few weeks ago where a patient was newer to the practice and I did her periodontal screening and she needed non-surgical periotherapy. And she's like, but I'm here for my cleaning. I'm here for my insurance cleaning. And I was trying to explain to her that it's a procedure that yes, your insurance companies provided you a benefit for, but unfortunately you don't don't fall into the category of receiving it. If I do that for you today, I'm not at all addressing your needs that you're presenting me with and explain the risk factors attached to all that. And she left angrily. She wanted her free cleaning. Yeah. And I think that's a big issue with the way insurance has intertwined itself with us and puts parameters on what you can have in one year 
and and the way it works and it's not going to an individualized healthcare system it's going to a how do we how do we minimize what we pay out and, and i always say to patients they're an insurance company their job is to make money they don't care about your health <laughs> right you really hit the nail on the head there because private insurance companies want that. They want to minimize the amount that they pay out because that means they make more profits. And what that ends up resulting in is the people who need dental care the most have the hardest time accessing it because insurance companies look at them as high risk and say, we don't want them or we want to limit their the amount we're going to pay out to them. So the people who need help the most have the hardest time accessing it and getting good dental insurance. It's, yeah. it's interesting. Oh, sorry. Go, Melissa. I was just going to say it's it, and it goes a lot back to how dental insurance from a privatized sector is is advertised to the employee, and you know you get your two free cleanings a year. No, like there's there's two things wrong with that sentence: free and cleaning. Like we can't we can't continue this way, and so it just puts this false sense of what they are they deserve, quote unquote from us. And and then it just creates more of that aggravation and that inability to communicate sometimes that people just don't understand. Like it, It ends up being, I hear what you're saying, but I don't agree because I want my free cleaning. So it's it's a really tough situation. Um, Tabitha, what were you going to say? say? I don't know how it works in America and Canada, but in Australia, if you buy insurance, um, I was having a look at it the other day because... Uh, Insurance isn't as big here, like not everybody has to have it because we do have universal health. But if you earn over a certain threshold, if you don't get insurance for hospital, then they fine you when you do your tax. You've got to pay a higher tax. So you have to get it. So we were looking at some insurance the other day and um, I decided to just do hospital and not get the extras. So I don't have dental insurance or any of those things because I access free dental through work and, you know, like I'm like, I'm not paying for it. I get this anyway. But when I was having a look at the policies, it was quite interesting because you could spend $2,000 to get these extras, but what it paid back was you could never get what it paid. And I'm like, well, for me, it would actually be better not to pay for that insurance and to pay out of pocket for these procedures. And I would actually be better off. And so, but instead people are paying huge money for insurance in Australia and then they let the insurance dictate to them. Like, I'm going to delay my treatment because I've got to wait for the new financial year with my insurance to get the money again. And I'm in my head thinking you'd actually be better off and could just pay for it without insurance because the people that can afford insurance are paying so much money, you'd, you'd save money paying for the treatment. <laughs> it just, and there's it a trend that's sense. happening yeah. There's a trend that's happening in the US too, where a lot of practices are kind of taking that insurance middleman out and providing their own membership plans for patients where depending on the the how the patient presents, there's like a periodontal plan, there's a health plan. And if they sign up for these membership plans, they get X amount of treatment, um, preventative care within the plan per year. And then they get a discount if they need any kind of restorative work as well. So I've seen that trend happening a lot here in the US also to try to just kind of beat that insurance middleman. I have an issue with the membership plans though. Sorry, go. Yeah. No, no, you go ahead. I said, I have an issue with some of the membership plans because I've seen some practices in Australia doing it. But to me, it looks like over-servicing in a lot of times because you're selling this package when you haven't looked in the patient's mouth and decided what they individually need. So sometimes it's more than they need or not enough. And again, it's putting that patient in that you'll fit this. And I kind of look at it and think, is this ethical in the way to sell your dental treatment to somebody as in a package and and I'll give this to everybody? 
I think that there's a, a, a way to go about it. I don't think we should sell any of that stuff until the patient is completely assessed and we know what yeah. their individual care requires. Yeah, I, I think agree. something to highlight while we're on the subject of private health insurance as well is talking about how that's something that your bosses can hoard over you basically saying you need to work in this job, otherwise you're going to lose these essential health benefits. Because a lot of people are scared, you know, if they become unemployed, they lose they lose their dental plan or their drug plan in Canada. And like, um, if you retire, and there's also an element of well of like, People might be scared, say, to leave an abusive relationship because they rely on their partner's health insurance and, you know, they might need a lot of dental care. And if they leave that, they're going to, they're going to, they leave the marriage, they're going to lose the benefits. And it's really ugly. And it's something that when people lack dental insurance for, for years of their life, they neglect that early intervention and preventative treatment so that say people between the ages of 20 and 30 are much less likely to have dental insurance, if they could access dental care, they'd be much better off the rest of their life because they could access those services in those times. And they, it, it's kind of like the problem snowball over time. And then they're left when they do get a dental plan needing to play catch up because they've neglected things for so long. Absolutely. Yeah. And I see that all the time. And then now we're doing quadrants of non-surgical periotherapy on these young adults because they, from when their parents were caring from them, like say 17 years old, 18 years old was the last time they had any preventative care up until when they're maybe like 26 to 30 and they have a job that now is providing them with that benefit. Then now they come back into the system and, and is exactly like you said, we need to play catch up. And it's a big problem with people get busy in dental practices and they're not even providing that motivation and preventative care inside their own dental practice that patients are um, coming to them. And it's one of the things that uh, part of my job is I lecture on motivation and oral hygiene instructions to dental clinicians about the importance of it. And I think the biggest thing is don't make assumptions about patients. You know, people just assume they know to brush their teeth twice a day. Why? Because you went to uni and learnt that. Like, they didn't. Like, we have to make sure that we're providing that really low-level preventative care all the time and explaining to patients every time you see a patient, every time a patient gets a filling, there's been a failure on our side not to prevent it. Either they couldn't access it, so there was the failure, or we didn't give them the oral hygiene instructions when they did access it. You know, sometimes it's just they, they don't do it, not all every patient complies, but a lot of the time it's because the system's broken and they didn't receive the prevention method and I, I've seen in offices dentists just do fillings and never speak to the patient about why they got the filling. Yeah and I think that's something that when we spoke earlier about a school-based dental plan that's really where you can make big steps in intervening early and making sure no one falls through the cracks because yeah there's a lot of people who don't know some basic things for maintaining their oral health and I think there's a lot of people who they learn back like their parents didn't know their parent, their parents didn't know. And it's just passed on from generation to generation and entraps these people in the cycle of poverty and having a school-based dental plan is a really good way to make sure every single person gets that information. And also, in, as I said, in those school-based clinics, people should be working on a salary rather than a fee for service basis. So you're not worried about rushing this person out of the chair so you can get the next person and you can take the time and energy. And some people need more time to explain these things. And you might look in there, they have more plaque here. I want to make sure I'm spending the time to fix these things and make sure they're not, they're actually being addressed. I would and, love, yeah. love, love to go into a school with my airflow 
and just teach kids OHI and disclose and motivate and airflow all day long. That would be super fun for me. Well, when you look at some statistics too, they did some studies in Australia and they looked just at 2,120 um, 2, students. And out of those students, they'd missed 1,049 days of school due to dental complications. Wow. So, <laughs> like, so we're, we're just, if we had that school-based system working really well for everyone, we'd be reducing their days off school, their ability to learn, like, even just thinking, like, a child who's got a lot of decay and a lot of toothaches, they're not concentrating. Maybe they're misbehaving. And then this starts how their life is going to move forward because they're missing days of school, they're getting in trouble, it's, it's affecting their education, and it puts them in that um, poverty cycle straight away because of how they're being limited. And so just being able to make a child not be in pain is so important. It's good for the economy as well, because then parents don't have to take time off of work to be able to go take their kids to the dental appointment. And it's something that the people, the kids who have the highest dental needs often come from families who have the hardest time accessing paid sick days. So people who work in more lower wage jobs, maybe they don't have a car, maybe they take public transit, and it's much harder to be mobile in that sense. Especially, you know, I see this firsthand working in a rural setting. I have patients that come from two hours way and I'm the nearest person. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you think of it on the the microbiome level and how the um if if they have dysbiosis of their microbiome in their mouth, the science is linking that to um, mental issues and not being able to focus and not so much mental issues, but just it it links it to mood and depression and things along those lines. So it it's just there's so many, it's multifaceted and and our help is so essential. One thing as well, I think it's similar in the US, I'm not 100%, I imagine probably in Australia as well. But in Canada, day, like day surgeries for dental decay is the biggest cause of day surgeries for children. So having that er easily accessible dental treatment is going to reduce those traumatic experiences for kids because going and getting a major operation where you're putting it under general anesthesia, that's a traumatic thing for children. And like, if we could just reduce that, that would be that would be great. Well, we, one of my friends is an anaesthetist at a hospital and on Fridays, they only see children for full clearances wow. for the whole day. And he does that every single week and he's one person. And so I imagine there's thousands of him doing that every week. And because when he was telling me, when he found out that I worked in dental when we first met, he's like, oh yeah, on Fridays, we just, I anaesthetize kids for teeth out all day. He goes, we probably see about 20 kids a day. And I'm like, what? <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> Yeah. And so Brandon, how, how to, um, other professionals who are listening to this dental professionals, if they want to get involved with your organization and, and maybe feel very compelled to, to do along the lines of what you're doing, how can they get in touch with you or work with you or, or start something in their area? Yeah. So, uh, we have an email, so it's called coalition for dental care at gmail.com, or you can look us up on social media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, message us on there. And yeah, we're really happy to have help from people from different walks of life, anyone who's interested. So um, yeah. And do you, you don't have to be Canadian. You could be American or Australian or from well, any other. 
technically our group is advocating for universal dental care in Canada, but if okay. people from other countries wanted to start a similar thing, if they either, you know, say someone's American, they want to help in Canada, great. Or if they want to start their own chapter in the US, that would be amazing. I would be super happy to help with that as possible. Um, yeah, it's really really as people gain interest and want to take their own initiative on these things, I'm very open as far as, you know, letting people do what they're, do what they're good at. That's awesome. Because just from having this conversation, even though we're coming from three areas of this world, it seems like the issues are all very similar. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yes. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we just I wish have we to keep on about how great we were, but we're not. <laughs> I mean, we are, <laughs> we just have to, we just have to um, clone people like us so we can get more, more of us out there. But I think, you know, everyone can make a small difference. And this is something that we talk about each week in the podcast, that no matter what you do to try and fight for that, for that good, it's a really important piece of the puzzle. So you may not have as much time to volunteer as someone else, but you can write a letter. You can be part of that. So there's something that everyone can do to try and really help with signing a petition or doing different things. You may not be someone that's going to be high level because of other stuff that you've got going on in your life, but don't dismiss that you can't help on some level. And if we all band together, we can really make a difference. And that's what. And no action is too small. Any action that you make to help make this change is something that can lead to another action and another action. So your action um, might be the one that triggers somebody else to take it to the next level. So never underestimate the power of what you can do. Absolutely. And I think it's important to note that as people in the dental profession, our voice goes very far in this sense. It's like back 50, 60 years ago, the doctors who spoke on behalf of Medicare, their voices were very much, they were very important in that fight. And it's something that, yeah, you don't know what this will come from. To be honest, for me, what this came from was late in my, as, later in my dental student, you know, in my third and fourth year dental school, I just, I started writing articles for local newspapers and then I felt like, you know, I'm just kind of doing this atomized as an individual. Why don't I start looking into forming a group with like-minded people and actually kind of have a unified push and it's really flourished into something where now we have, you know, dozens of members in our group and we're all, you know, taking on different projects. It's really exciting. No, it is. Thank mm -hmm. you for fighting the good fight. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's really important. And thank you for... And thank you for taking the time to come on our podcast and share all this amazing work that you're doing. And we hope that we can uh, check in with you in the future and see how your coalition is progressing and what you've been able to achieve. And, and we definitely want to keep in touch. Absolutely. Thanks for having me as well. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. All right, Disruptors. So that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy dental lives and uh, listening with us. We hope we made your commute and your day a little bit brighter and motivated you to just keep fighting the good fight and doing the good, amazing work that you do with your patients every day. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please like it, share it, subscribe, tell a friend, leave us a review. We love all of the above. So thank you for taking your time to listen and do those things for us. Bye from the Australia, Canada, and the USA today. <laughs> Absolutely. So keep on disrupting. Until next time.